Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or good evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. This evening, this is episode 61. Uh, We had uh, accidentally misnumbered our episodes, uh, 57 through 59, but we're back on track, and this is actually episode 61. We have with us Margaret Weiss, author of The Seventh Sigil, the third book in the Dragon Brigade series from Twin Books. Welcome to the show. We're glad to have Thank you. Thank you with. very much. I am so sorry about the technical problems that, uh, <laughs> that we encountered trying to get everything set up. Not everything goes smoothly. It is radio, of course. You try and save money on cheap microphones, and this is what you get, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but not with cheap people. Not with that. <laughs> You've heard two other voices here so far. Uh, one of them is Susan Fox, who's the executive producer for Krypton Radio. Dragons! And the other one is the unsinkable Michael Brown. He is the author of our ongoing comic book column called Four Colored Bullet. Michael, welcome to the show. This is your first time on the air. Thanks a lot. I'm excited. to have you with us, too. Ms. Weiss, your history as an author goes back quite a ways. Would you like to tell us about how you got started and and, uh, and what your first book was? Oh, okay. Um, I actually got started I'm writing with my creative writing with my major in college. Uh, I graduated in 1970. I worked for 10 years uh, writing, sending out my material, getting rejection letters, and writing and sending it out. Eventually, through a very serendipitous kind of accident, I found an agent, Ray Pigner of the Ray Pigner Agency out of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and um, sent him my work, and he started getting me jobs writing for juvenile nonfiction publishers at the time. Simon Schuster was the first. Mm-hmm. And so my first published book was a biography of Frank and Jesse James. Wow. Well that's, yep. that's neat stuff. This is how this is how a lot of children are introduced to history. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was, these books. It was a lot of fun. So your the let's see, fast forward a few years and you became involved in writing books for the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yes, I went to work as an editor at TSR Incorporated. I went to work there as a book editor in 1983, and the project I was assigned, one of the projects I was assigned to work on 
was to develop novels for our new game line for Dungeons and Dragons called Dragonland that was created by Tracy Hickman. And I, my job was to write the outline for the novels based on the plots that went through 12 game modules. And then they were going to find a best-selling author to write the book. But as Tracy said, they were going to get this author and not pay him very much and not give him the rights to the novels. So, of course, they didn't find a best-selling author. Um, <laughs> what they found was Tracy Hickman and myself who fell in love with the world and said, you know, we should be the one to write these books. And, and why not? And you became they took a, a chance on us. <laughs> And you became a best-selling author as a result of that. Yep. The first book hit the New York Times list as a write-in candidate in 1984. My gosh, that is awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Michael, when did you first discover Ms. Weiss's work? Oh, gosh. In uh, high school, actually, um, a friend of mine had uh, given me uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight to read because I was out of things to read that week. And, uh, uh, that was, that was actually my first intro into fantasy. And, uh, and as a result, I've like been a long time fan of Miss Weiss's for a for, well, a long time, long, long time. And, uh. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And, and pretty much the, the, uh, entire reason I'm, I sit in my geek chair now is, yeah, but, uh. Uh oh. Did we lose Michael? Michael, are you still there, or are you just tongue-tied? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I thought we I thought we lost you mid-phrase there. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just in the presence of awesomeness. I had to, had to be quiet for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so how many books overall did you write while you were working with TSR? Oh, let's see. I wrote about six while I was employed there, and then um, that was the dragon first six Dragonlance novels. And then Tracy and I wanted to do a series um, that wasn't Dragonlance called the Dark Sword series. Uh, TSR didn't want to publish it, or my agent sent it to... He actually sent it because he didn't know the fantasy editor at Bantam, so he sent it to the Western editor, whom he did know, and he said, would you please give this to somebody in fantasy. <laughs> and so the Western, the Western uh-huh. editor took it to Lou Aronica, who was in charge of the fantasy books at Bantam at the time, and um, and, Lou, and handed it to Lou and said, this is by somebody named Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. And Lou goes, oh my God, <laughs> that's so cool. That's so funny. that's how we got on at Bantam. And we wrote several series for them. And um, we've written for Daw and uh, Harper, and um, and now we're with Tor. I remember when I first saw the Dragonlance books, I th- I flipped through them and I thought, uh, this reads like somebody just wrote down what happened in a game and made a book. It's and not it's, that simple, <laughs> is it? No, actually, uh, that's kind of an urban myth is that we took the, uh, we took the plot from gaming sessions and actually we didn't do that at all. Uh, the plot was created, uh, because it had to be because we were basing the modules on the plot. It was the first time, Dragonlance was the first time, uh, game modules actually had a plot. They actually told the story as opposed to what Tracy used to call the Dragon of the Month Club. You go, mm-hmm. 
find the dragon, kill the dragon, get the treasure. Next month, you find the dragon, kill the dragon, get the get the treasure. Right. Uh, dragon Lance had a had a much worthier cause for the adventurers. They were actually trying to save the world from the evil Queen of Dragons and um, Queen of Darkness, and um, and it took them took you twelve modules to do it. So we had to distill that down to three novels, which was interesting. So that's wow. So now so, they would do that in an evening on the on the video game. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Is it true though that uh uh Raceland's whispery voice did come as a result of the gaming session? Yes, that is okay. true. We actually play tested Dragonland twice, I believe. We, you know, we were working at the time. We really didn't have time to, to play test a lot, but we did play it once at Tracy's house. And that's where the idea of Bapu, the gully dwarf, who, who falls in love with Raceland because he cast a spell on her. And, uh, that's where she came from. And also Carrie Phillips played Raceland in the gaming session. And he, Terry was an actor, and he decided to play Raceland with this kind of whispering voice. And I started noticing as we were in the game, when it, you know, in the gaming sessions, you know, they get pretty loud. Everybody's excited and shouting. And whenever Terry spoke with this kind of whispering voice, everybody fell silent to hear what he had to say. And I thought, wow, that is cool. Raceland would use that as a technique just to get people to listen to him. And so I incorporated that into the book. Oh, that's awesome. Characterization coming from characterization. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it, this is also circular and confusing for me. I, the, so the storyline came first and then the novels until you yeah, left. Yeah, the storyline came first and then the games and then the novels. Okay. And then when you left TSR, you were free to write your own storylines and... Well, yeah, you're freed from the yeah, structure I mean, you're, of the game structure because you're not not trying to right. you know, pitch mm-hmm. it as as something to to sell games. So the quality mm-hmm. of the books. Well, we, it was interesting because we discovered what we thought going into because nobody had ever published novels based on games before. What we thought going into it was that the reader would be interested in following the characters through the game. As it turned out, what we discovered after the first three books was that the readers liked the characters, but they weren't, they liked playing the game themselves and they weren't really interested in what the characters were doing in the game. Mm-hmm. So that's why in the second three books, Dragonlance Legends, we were able to abandon the game completely and go ahead and tell the story of the characters. And the, uh, the quality of the writing must have gone way up once you were freed from that restriction. Yeah, the, I, I, Legends is better than Chronicles. Uh, Another reason is that Chronicles got cut pretty badly um, because TSR didn't think it was going to sell since nobody had ever heard of Tracy and I. And so they insisted that book only should be X number of pages so they could sell it for two nice size. Uh It had to fall within that price point or they wouldn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. $2.95 was real money for the book. (laughs) Yeah, can you imagine? Well, dream got... of of being able to buy a book for two ninety five. It's it's kind right. of starving on the salary you used to dream of, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yikes! Like uh, like my cell phone has more computing power and memory than the servers that I used to run a whole company on back in the early nineties. 
you know, I worked for uh, I worked for uh, uh, Technicolor, and the computers we had were we had a 486 with I think four four megs of RAM, and that was a lot. And we ran the whole company off it. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a mainframe at TSR. We did all our work on mainframes. In fact, I think oh boy, Dragonlance was probably one of the first novels ever to be done. Uh, by computer because that's how we did everything. And I know when I was writing, when I was working with Bantam, I was sending in the typewritten pages and my editor was editing it in pen and then it went to typesetting and we did all of that on computer. Uphill, both ways. That's fascinating and that's probably true. You probably were the first people, uh, mm -hmm. the first people ever to write a, a novel on a computer. Mm -hmm. That's, wow. So, now you have uh, this third book uh, coming out from Tor in the Dragon Brigade series. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that one? And when when is it coming out? Uh, the third book is coming out in September. Uh -huh. uh, Dragon Brigade is a fantasy series, but it's set in a very different kind of fantasy world. It's um, a world that's probably akin to maybe early 18th century Earth. There are floating continents and islands, and people travel in ships and on the backs of dragons. And there's magic, but it's everyday kind of magic. Everybody uses they use magic for baking bread and everything else. And then there are saints, there are demons, there's a priest who's a detective. Uh, there's um, some really strong female characters, which I which I love, including a great female villain. And um, it's uh, it, it's just been a lot of fun. There's spies, there's all sorts of neat stuff. Griffins, dragons, rivers. <laughs> so this is the third one you've written for tour books, or has, is this just the third, oh, no, third in the written, series? Oh, no, this is just the third one in that series. Yeah, I've written several series for tour. Such as? The first one was, the first one was Dragon Varl. Uh, the first book was Mistress of Dragons. And then there was... Um, the Dragon Sun and Master of Dragons in that series. And then Tracy and I have, are, were writing the Dragon Ship series, which is, uh, Fantasy Vikings. Oh, great. Yeah, that was fun because the idea came from the Viking ship with the prowl like a dragon. Mm -hmm. And our thought was that the ship had, uh, the power to turn it into a dragon. And then we kind of took it from there. Oh, that's fun. There's a fun concept. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the ship decides, uh, no, I don't think we're going that way. I think we're going over here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that can get difficult. <laughs> so how, how well have these uh, books been received? How, how, well, how well has the series been doing? Oh, Dragon Brigade, uh, the second book, we were so thrilled. We got star reviews in Publishers Weekly and Purpose, and um, I think one other that I can't remember. I was, But to get a star review in Kirkus, I was I, I was thrilled. That's the first time that's ever happened. I was like, yes, <laughs> that was really neat. That's, that's pretty awesome. So where do you start when you're building a new world, and and you, and you know that you're going to be running several novels off of this. Where, where do you begin? Hmm. It, it's different depending on 
each series has been different. I'm my probably my favorite one was um, Tracy and I were doing the Death Gate. We had the idea for the Death Gate novels that we wanted to pitch to Banton. Fantastic series, by the way, also. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so we we knew kind of what we wanted, but we didn't have the worlds exactly in our mind. We couldn't figure it out. And I had promised when I first started writing, in order to bribe the kids to leave me alone and let me write, I promised I would take them to Disney World. And so years later, when they were teenagers, we finally went to Disney World. And I was thinking about the Death Gate series at the time and trying to, you know, we were in the Living Sea exhibit, and they have that ride you get on, yes. and they take you and they show you the creation of the Earth. And there was that part where there's, like, Earth, air, fire, and water all come together. It was really neat. And I thought, wow, what if we had four worlds? One world of fire, one world of Earth, one world of water, and one world of air. And it was so exciting that I got out of the ride, left my kids <laughs> in this living sea. I went out the exit and set off the alarm, and we had payphones. And so I found a payphone, and I called Tracy, and I told him, and he was, he was like, yes, this is exactly what we want. So he started creating the world, and that's how we came up with Destiny. <laughs> that's a great story. And I have <laughs> I've been to the living seas, and it's, uh, you know, that's that's a... Not an, exactly an easy ride to find your way out of if you need to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> She's afraid of a jellyfish. <laughs> you know, you go down in that elevator and it's it's uh, you know it's it's like a bathosphere and you go down. So um, um, I do have something that um, about 1995, I think it was uh, uh, Margaret. Uh, and Tracy wrote uh, the Star Shield series. That it was meant to be a trilogy, but there was no book three. What happened? Uh, that series got into some legal tanglements, and we just decided that at that point it was better to just not finish it. Can you tell us how it ends? So should we have spoilers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, I think Tracy a, knew how it ended, but I never did, so. Because you had a game also wrapped around that, too, at one time, I think, to kind of coincide with it. Is that right? We were talking about it, I think, but I'm not sure that we ever that we ever actually came up with it. Because if you can ever really reveal that ending, I'm, I'm like on pins and needles. Uh, <laughs> I reread the first two. Something funny, for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Life is a story. Write your own ending. Right. And this is this. Uh, you've been involved in games and gaming pretty much from the start. And your latest involvement has been with a. Uh, it's an RPG, isn't it? Uh, Firefly. Yes, it's a role-playing game for Firefly. Firefly. Mm-hmm. We love Firefly. And that debuted uh, last September, was it? Uh, at Gen Con? Yes, we put out the exclusive, which was kind of a preview of the game. Mm-hmm. It um, it had some of the basic rules and an adventure that I wrote, my very first gaming adventure, and um, uh, characters, enough so that you could start playing the game. Um, the core rule book 
is finished. It's available in PDF form on Drive Through RPG, mm-hmm. and it will be going to the publisher and coming out in hardback very soon. How it's exciting. doing really well on Drive Through RPG too, isn't it? I think I know I, I've been kind of keeping up on it because uh, I think I'm going to run it soon. And oh, uh, that's me. Yeah, it's done. It's done really well. It hit platinum, and our uh, our uh, we had we have 20 game demo slots at Gen Con this year, and those sold out within hours after them going live. So that's what I heard. It's, it's really popular, it's, which, it, which is neat. It's been such a joy to work on that series. I've had so much fun. My company had the did the RPG for Serenity many years ago when the movie came out, and to get the, uh, to get the license to do Firefly was, is just awesome. Does Firefly differ at all from Serenity as far as, or are you just focusing on the TV series this time as opposed to the movie? Yeah, because there are two different licenses. Um, Fox owns the license for Firefly and Universal owns the license for Serenity. So in the world of licenses, never the twain shall meet. So we're just doing Firefly in the book, in, uh, in the current RPG. That's pretty groovy. So where does one start? designing a game like the first thing I guess is you 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 have to make sure you have the property and that's somebody yes else's you job. have to make sure you have to uh-huh, have to make sure you have the licensed property although in the kind of freewheeling world of gaming there are you know there are people who just kind of take it and run with it so and once you've got a rule system that you like you can pretty well take any any property that you like and just develop it for your own group you don't no you don't dragon. have to have a license. There are no dragons. Well, as, long as, you're not, as long as you're not selling what you've made. But, uh, as long as you're not selling it, yes. Mm-hmm. Just for your own private enjoyment. This implies that the uh, Firefly game is based on a, a rule system that you'd already established and tried out, worked the bugs out. Yes. Um, it's based on the Cortex system. We are using the new Cortex Plus system which is different from the Cortex system we used in Serenity. It's been refined and improved and, in fact, was tailored to Firefly to give you a sense of the fun and excitement and adventure of being part of the the cast and crew of of Firefly. It's a very fast-paced game. It's very easy to teach somebody how to play um, so are you playing a character from the show, or are you making up your own? You can do whatever you want. If you want to play a character from the show, I always play Jane, my favorite character. Uh, or you can <laughs> make up your own characters. Uh-huh. That's what you, That's you a good cover. part of role-playing. You can come as you are or come as you aren't. I want to go to yep. a crappy little planet <laughs> I like I'm to kill hero. stuff. So. <laughs> how, how technical is the simulation of the ship itself? It's, the ship is actually a character. So okay. you can create your own ship and give the ship personality, just like the Firefly had, like Serenity had her own personality. Uh, things went wrong, you know, Kaylee had to talk to it, Kaylee had to listen. So the ship, as instead of being as technical, is, is much more of a character in its own right. What has, I liked about the ship... Has, what I liked was how Kaylee, you know, she wouldn't get into the techno babble jargon, blah blah blah, which is 
rotten to listen to and even worse for an actor to have to deliver those lines. After a while, she yeah. just would throw up her hands and say, it's broke. <laughs> no, we right. can't fix it. We need this new part because it's broke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she made it believable mm-hmm. that she she listened to the ship. She heard it. it she loved it. And, uh, and that's what we try to do with the game. Now, it makes me want to get, uh, look this up and, and uh, have a look at the game myself. And I oh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> play a lot of RPG, but something that's really well written can just capture your imagination and carry you away. Okay. Yeah, that's what we try to do, too. Sort we try, try to make the RPG read so that it's interesting to read uh, as you're learning the rules. It's not just a dry bunch of rules. It's... Um, we actually take each of the episodes and we present all of the episodes and we present as as a game and we present suggestions and rules in the episodes to help the game master go through them and you so you can actually play an episode if you want to. Although it, <laughs> it could end very differently. Have, uh, <laughs> hmm? It could end very very badly, it, Yes, it could. It could end very badly. <laughs> Speared through the heart with a big chunk of metal. No, no, no that never happens. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> there's a there's a page on Facebook that says "Stop Killing Alan Tudyk." <laughs> I'm sure he agrees. I'm sure. So were you as bummed as the rest of us? I guess when they when when Firefly was canceled. That was oh, ten years yeah, ago. It was. It was heartbreaking. I just couldn't believe it. Well, actually, I couldn't believe it, but it was it was hard. And they canceled it for what was it again? Does anybody remember the name of the show they canceled it for to replace it with? Nope. I don't think so. It doesn't matter. Uh, it wasn't Futurama or, or Wonderfalls or anything like with interest or imagination. So who cares? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it, I think it was something like Baywatch or one of those reality house shows or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and then that thing got canceled within before one season was over because it sucked. Mm-hmm. So uh, the problem with Firefly is that they kept moving the time around because like it premiered during baseball season. <laughs> I remember watching. Well, it yeah, and trying to watch it, and, and they, oh, damn the dog, and they ran. They ran the pilot at the end. Yeah, which didn't make it any clearer at all. No, and um, I was I was fortunate in that I got to watch a copy that had the pilot at the beginning, and so I actually followed it all the way through. So that was that was really great. That I really I was so frustrated that they didn't uh, they completely messed it up. I am struck by serendipity. We know so many people who have done so many different things, and we all know somebody who's worked on something that somebody else has worked on, and and it's all interconnected. And I wanted to share uh, an incident that happened to me uh, last May 4th, which was Free Comic Book Day. Uh, There's a comic book store uh, a little ways from where we live, and uh, I went there, and uh, they had the the tables out with the comic books and the awnings, and there was a big crowd of people, and the food trucks and the whole thing. 
And uh, a good friend of the guy who runs the comic book store uh, and the owner of that comic book store were busy uh, working on, working out the details of a comic book podcast. So, you know, I thought, okay, I run a science fiction radio station. Let's talk to the guy. So I was talking to the fellow, whose name was Quint, and I realized that he looked an awful lot like... Captain Tightpants. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like Nathan Fillion. He looked a lot like Nathan Fillion. And he said, funny you should mention that. You remember that episode of Firefly? No. Not the butt. No, that wasn't Not him. the stunt butt. That was he, he wasn't the stunt butt, oh. but he was. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, in the scenes in the party where uh, Kaylee was wearing that layer cake dress. Yes, and uh, you you saw the over the shoulder shot of her talking to Captain Mal, and he, and Captain uh-huh. Mal's back was to the camera. That was not Nathan Fillion. It was this guy Quint, who was his stand-in. Stand-in's oh, a cool. long revered job in Hollywood. Yeah. And it, it, the thing is that he's the same height. He looks like he could be Nathan Fillion's brother. And with a little bit of makeup, he could pass for him in close quarters. I mean, he looked, uh-huh. he looks and sounds like Nathan Fillion. And, oh, that's uh, me. He said that, uh, Joss Whedon had picked him out of a lineup of fans who had come to see the show shoot. <laughs> oh, he said, uh-huh. you! Come here! You! Over here, now! <laughs> <laughs> and he put the code on him and said, sign this boy up. We need him. <laughs> and he worked the rest of the show. You know, oh, until, neat. until it was canceled. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, whenever they needed to stand in for Nathan Fillion, it was this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, suppose he, he, he tried out for Ca- the same job on Castle, which has run longer. That's a point. I wonder. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd have been on him. them like, like Whack on space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like ugly on an ape, definitely. Don't, come on, you don't want to offend the ape audience. No, oh, pardon me, true. Simian-Americans. Simian-Americans, we need to be politically yeah. correct. So, how many books do you work on at a time? I know only someone. Well, wait, only you just one. do a job. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we just, we, uh, Susan mentioned earlier, uh, I think before we started the recording the show, that uh, we had been talking to Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, and they work, uh, they produce, I think, six books a year. Oh, my. And in order to work at that pace, they have to have several books in production at, at one time. Well, for mm-hmm. one, there's two of them, and for another, Kevin's used to that kind of pace, because he does all those franchise books. You know? We did... When we were doing Dragonlance, we did three books a year because they wanted, TSR wanted the trilogy to come out within a year. And so. That's a murderous. We did that. Just it doing three we books were, is we a were working our, We were working our day jobs at the same time because mm. I was still a book editor and Tracy was still a game designer. And that was, that was pretty, we were working at nights and on weekends. And that was pretty rough. Even when we were able to quit our jobs and just do freelancing, I discovered that I can't write more than, say, four to five hours at a time or the writing starts to deteriorate and I end up just rewriting what I've written the next day. 
So for me, I write in the mornings and in the afternoons. I think about what I write and I plan what I'm going to write the next day. And then I go back to work. That works out best. So has your, have your writing tools evolved over the years? What are you, you're obviously not writing on a mainframe anymore. No, I, I have a Mac. I got one of the first Apple computers that came out and, uh, and I've Yay. written on a Mac ever since. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we're 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 a mixed relationship here. I'm I do Mac. <laughs> he does PC and Linux. Yeah, I do PC, uh, Linux, and Android. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and I <have laughs> Apple, Apple, and Apple. Uh-huh. Michael, what do you use when you write? Uh, my my laptop. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> Windows or Windows box. We're not, we're not getting fancy. I'm like yeah, I'm not using stone and uh, stone and chisel right now. I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Michael writes uh, Four Color Bullet, which is our, our uh, comic book uh, review column every, every week. Brings, That's neat. It brings to it some insight and, and deep knowledge of comic books that I certainly couldn't imagine. And uh, so it's, it's uh, and part of the reason uh, we wanted you on the air with us, Michael, is to, to give us that extra perspective. Because um, you obviously have. Uh, Read a lot more of Miss Weiss's work than we have, and uh, you know we're glad to have your your commentary and your point of view. Um, okay, so what goofball thing have you always wanted to ask? Aside from how does it end? Uh, <laughs> I remember one time actually I had met uh, I'd met her at a, uh, a Dragon Con in, in Atlanta, and uh, I was in the middle of. Uh, Deathgate cycle actually, and, and I had asked a question about Haplo and uh, one of the characters, and uh, I tried really hard to get to get a uh, answer as to as to this, as to some secrets, but uh, she absolutely refused, and uh, 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 but I still love her, so it's okay. Uh, uh, I was better for not knowing, so you did me a favor, and I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the truth is, we probably didn't know at the time, so. I remember that was a, that was a, uh, my roommate in college at the time, that was a huge, uh, discussion topic of ours was, uh, Heplo or the dog or, uh, uh, the big secret of, and well, I'll just ask Margaret Weiss when I go to Atlanta and ask her and then, uh, come back empty handed, but it's okay. It's okay. You try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love Dragon Con in general. I want to go back one of these here days because, Finnish good fellowship and southern hospitality make a powerful combination. I like dragon. It was a lot of fun. I haven't been back in a while. I do uh, fly ball racing with my dog, and we always have a big fly ball tournament that weekend that conflicts. So. What is fly ball? <laughs> fly ball is, is a really fun dog sport. Um, you have a team of dogs. If you Google fly ball, you can see pictures. But you race uh, race with a team of four dogs, and um, there's a series of hurdles. The first dog runs, jumps the hurdles, hits a spring-loaded box that shoots at a tennis ball. The first dog catches the tennis ball, runs back over the hurdles. Second dog passes the first dog, hits the tennis ball, and you're racing against another team of dogs right next to you. Doing the same thing. It's like a relay race yeah. with dogs. It's kind of like a relay race, only the dogs don't pass the tennis ball to each other. That's a question everybody always asks. Well, they just they just race down and back. 
but uh, it's very loud. There's lots of barking. It's it's lots of fun. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to set this on the moon, but it's you know like... the ball would go like a quarter mile every time. Yeah, <laughs> this is like Quidditch for dogs. <laughs> how much has the fan community influenced you as you've been going to these conventions and and, and writing these books? How much how much do they influence your work? Oh, um but uh they've they've been a big help. Especially with Dragonlance because there have been so many books and so much written by so many authors because Dragonlance is, was a shared world that whenever when I was writing Dragonlance, some of the later novels that Tracy and I did when we came back and worked for TSR or Wizards of the Coast if I, you know, needed to know the name of Sturm's grandfather, all I had to do was go online and ask the questions, and the fans would know, and they would tell me, and that's been great. It's like a, a I've group become, mind, I, a shared intellectual uh, mm-hmm. a memory resource. bank. Yeah, so it's been fun. Uh, the fans, a lot of fans have become friends of mine, and uh, it's really been neat. It's or still is a great experience in my life. Working at TSR was just lots of fun. I made friends there that I've kept for 30 years. And that's one of the finer things you can say about working for a company. And Mm -hmm. you you work for a really good place, and you think to yourself, I know this isn't going to last. Camelot will end Mm -hmm. at some point. It did. It went bankrupt. Yeah, and I've been I've been at uh, at a few companies where it was an amazing work experience, and then mm-hmm. poof. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's always it's always nice to to be there at that moment because mm-hmm. that's it's it's a crystalline perfect moment in time, and you know it can't last, but it's going to affect you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. Oh, I I hope so. <laughs> I work hard to get better all the time. So what's Endure- next? Uh, um, are there more Dragon Brigade books, or is there another trilogy in the offering? I'm finishing or working on the fourth book in the Dragon Ship series, and that will end that series. And then I've got some ideas for a new series, but I get kind of in the works, so I can't really talk about it. No hints. Because you've got too, no many, too many loose pieces in play and trying to figure out how they all fit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, if she told us, she'd have to kill us. <laughs> I would, and that'd be a shame. Yeah. Yeah. First, first um, people in our block to be eaten by dragons. You know, that's a distinction. <laughs> but it's a short block, so. Yeah, you make CNN. So, what's the word for it? It's Tuckerizing. Do you do you do this? Do you put, you put your you know friends in? Your in? Do what? what? <laughs> do you put your friends in your books? Yeah, we just oh, talked yes. to someone who yeah. did that extensively, and and I was one of oh, them. Yeah. As it turned out. Um. <laughs> and I remember you you put a a, a a marker in the book when I asked if I was in there. You haven't and, looked yet, have and you? I haven't looked. I'll show you. Later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we just talked to a uh, uh, relatively new author. His name is Rob Sawyer, and he works for Hunt Press. Or his 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 books are published through Hunt Press, and he's written a series called 
Brass Jack. Apparently, I've been written into one of the books, and Susan has been written in as well. Most of his friends oh, have. It's, it's, uh, it's Tuckerizing. There's a, an author named Tucker, who, a science fiction writer who's well known for doing this, and, uh, and the more authors, the more writers we talk to, the more of them we find, um, sneak them in. Sneak, huh? sneak them in. I think it's lazy, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, we started, when we did Dragonlance, there's some in-jokes in there that we put in, um, Tracy and I put in with our, for our friends, some funny things that happened while we were working on the novels, um, and we just kind of continued that. Like what? Come on, come on, give dirt, we want dirt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, fun actually turned, I turned into, it was really funny at the time and I turned it into a very poignant part of the book. But at the, at the end of the, we were working with our editor, Michael Williams, who did all the poetry for Dragonlance, our games editor, Michael. And, um, we were sitting around working on the plot. We were actually working on the plot for the game at the time. And the heroes had all gone into this cave with this big fire dragon and there were flames coming up and it was all very dramatic and uh, so we were looking at each other and we're going, my gosh, what if they just walked in here? What did they say? And now Michael, you have to understand, there were the twins, Terraman and Raceland. Raceland was the very cunning wizard and Terraman was his brother and he was sort of a jock and Michael always portrayed Terraman as being kind of intellectually challenged. So we're going, oh, my gosh, what do they say here? And Michael holds up two fingers, and he goes, oh, look, race, money. And um, doing shadow puppets against the cave wall. So I took that when we did Dragonlance Legends. <laughs> oh, wow, that's funny. <laughs> oh, boy. And um, in Dragonlance Legends, where... And this is a spoiler, so if you haven't read that book, don't listen. But where when Raceland is very ill, um, when he was a child, Terraman, to entertain him, would hold up two fingers and go, "Look, Race Bunny," and that's what he does in in the book, and it's a very poignant scene. So that's what I did. I kind of turned that in joke into something that uh, that you know has on occasion made people cry. <laughs> Have you heard the uh, Have you heard the apocryphal story about the uh, dreaded gazebo? Yes, the knights of the dinner table. Yeah, we talked to a guy who swears he was there, and uh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, he, he identified the guy who uh, identified the guy by name who uh, who had been the one who didn't know what a gazebo was. <laughs> well, it sounds like an exotic zebra, doesn't it? <laughs> If you're listening to this and you're confused, you're going to have to Google the dreaded gazebo. Uh, yeah, go to the night of the dinner table. Yeah, mm -hmm. they there have actually been cartoons made of the incident now and, and the whole thing, mm -hmm. uh, but apparently it dates back a little while. Dungeons and Dragons in general gives you the opportunity to create bizarre situations. We had a fork in the road. No, it looks like a giant dinner fork. <laughs> 
And, and, uh, in retrospect, it probably was... should have been a, like a pitchfork or a hay haying implement, you know, like a farm implement. No, it was a giant dinner fork. <laughs> I, it would go well with the candor spoon of turning. <laughs> yeah. And then when I had a my when I was DMing back in 1975, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I had a, I ran a, uh, a dungeon for first level players who had never played before and i had a, an official dungeon greeter who would uh uh who would help them out on their first quest uh and his name was presley uh, yes he was elvish uh-huh. <laughs> elvish presley yes thus setting a setting the, the tone drops Setting the tone for dumb dad jokes for life. <laughs> Michael, do you have anything else you'd like to ask? Um, I know Margaret's a, uh, a big football fan. Uh, are you happy with Green Bay's draft picks? <laughs> do I what? Are you happy with Green Bay's draft picks? Yes, I am happy with their draft picks. I just wish we'd get rid of Don Papers. <laughs> Because I'm a Bears fan and, and, and I'm, I'm wishing to get, to get rid of the, of uh, our quarterback, but, uh, that's not going to happen, I don't guess so. <laughs> oh, you're a Bears fan? My apologies. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, there, there are days I cry and I smile. It's, you know, it's ups and downs, <laughs> ups and downs, roller coaster life. It's crazy, but, uh. Must be real um, like I went to, uh, went to a Bears game last year in December, the last game in December. Oh my gosh, that was cold, but it was a great game. That's the one the Packers won, I think, in the last 30 yes, seconds. Yes, that was, that was yeah. heartbreaking. For me, not for you, I, I suppose. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I drag you out into, uh, into a Minnesota or a Wisconsin winter and they better win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, tell us the name of your book once again, the ones that's coming out from Tor Books in the, uh, the Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Brigade series. It is. It's the seventh digital. The seventh, the seventh vigil, vigil, and it comes out in September. Comes mm-hmm. out this September from Tour Books, and that'll be—I assume it's going to be in hardcover. Yeah. Okay, great. So hard—they're going to do the whole thing that Tour Books always does, which is hardcover first, and then uh, electronic and paperback. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm—they're just—they're absolutely the greatest publisher ever. They've sent us an awful lot of authors, so this is really great. <laughs> We're very grateful to Tour Books. Anyway, Margaret Weiss, thank you so much for joining us this evening on the Event Horizon. And uh, Michael Brown, the unsinkable Michael Brown, thank you so much for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. It's great. Yes, uh, thank you, Michael. It's been fun. (laughs) And thank you for the invitation. You have just heard Episode 61 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for May 24th, 2014 with our guest Margaret Weiss, co-author of the Dragonlance series from TSR Hobbies and many other books, including the Dragon Brigade trilogy from Tor Books, the next installment of which is The Seventh Sigil, coming out September 23, 2014. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer Susan Fox, with special guest the unsinkable Michael Brown, author of our comics review column, Four Color Bullet. This episode will air again on Sunday, May 25th, 2014 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And again on Thursday, May 29th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. 
You will be able to find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. Additional audio engineering for this episode was provided by Tomas Baltanger of Daft Punk. Thank you, Tomas. We wouldn't have an episode this time if not for your help. This program and its contents are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.